93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warmer weather is almost here, let's make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials. I love the new outdoor dining table and chairs I just bought. It looks great in my backyard, and it's the perfect setup for hosting a dinner party. Go to liveouter.com slash thefounderhour to see all the incredible products they have to offer. For a limited time, get 10% off and free shipping. That's liveouter.com slash thefounderhour. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. Before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at thefounderhour. Let's get into it. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of The Founder Hour. Today, we have the privilege of hosting a true visionary in the world of hospitality and entrepreneurship. Join us in welcoming Michael Forsman, the co-founder and creative director behind the iconic Pendry Hotels. Before establishing himself as a force to be reckoned with at Pendry, Michael's journey was interwoven with a tale of Montage International. Alongside his father, Alan, he played a pivotal role in the growth and success of Montage, demonstrating his unwavering commitment to excellence and innovation in the industry. Now as the driving force behind Pendry Hotels, Michael has once again proven his knack for crafting experiences that transcend the ordinary. His unique blend of creativity and business acumen has redefined luxury accommodations, merging contemporary elegance with authentic local charm. In this episode, we delve into Michael's extraordinary path from his early days helping shape Montage International to the heights of co-founding and creatively directing Pendry Hotels. Join us as we uncover the insights, challenges, and inspirations that have molded Michael into the trailblazing entrepreneur he is today. Tune in and get ready to embark on a journey of innovation, passion, and entrepreneurial wisdom. Here we go. Mike, thanks for having us here at the Pendry in West Hollywood. Uh, We're excited to be here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I know that you grew up around hotels and around resorts and around just all things uh, hospitality. What was life like as a kid? It was, yeah, uh, yes to all that. Yeah, it was, a, look, it was a great life. I didn't know any different. Um, I grew up as a second generation hotelier. My dad was a, you know, started in the business and became a great general manager. And as his career was progressing, we moved around a ton. So I was born in Newport Beach lived there for a year. We moved to uh, Massapequa on Long Island for a year. Then we moved back to the Valley, lived in Agora Hills for a year, then moved to Palm Desert, then Tucson, then Phoenix. Uh, I went to high school in Las Vegas. And my memories of the childhood are like super happy. Uh, we, we were in and out of hotels constantly. That's That was the office. I remember visiting my dad you know, I remember visiting my dad at the Marriott Desert Springs where he was the hotel manager and him keeping a drawer of Legos for me in his office and just like having so much fun going in on a Saturday morning as a you know five-year-old kid playing mm-hmm. with Legos and walking around the property and seeing him interact with guests and seeing him interact with the team and just being completely enamored by this industry and the vibrancy and how no day was the same as the day before and just all this energy that kind of comes in and out of hotels. Um, and we would do, you know, family dinners in hotels and just, it was always a part of our kind of social fabric as a family. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot yeah. of fun. So anyway, we had, yeah, so we were talking offline, we had your dad on the show a few years back and it was such a great conversation just hearing uh, from his perspective, like his life. And, you yeah. know, we talked about his time in Vegas and, and whatnot, but it's interesting. I want to kind of hear about your experience as a younger kid moving around so much, right? Like it just, when you start going to school and making new friends, you probably have to move again and then move yeah. again and move again. What was that like? Did you feel like, did you feel like you were an outcast at all? Or were you pretty quick to just like acclimate and make friends every time you moved somewhere? You know, it, 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 I mean, no way around it. It's a challenge, right? It's hard. You're a kid. You're kind of in your head a little bit. You're trying to find yourself um, and be comfortable. I think as a boy, it was always about sports. Like I'd always, I played a lot of different sports growing up. I played uh, 
you know, the ones I cared the most about, baseball, hockey, eventually golf, um, you know, took tennis lessons, uh, played soccer when I was younger. I was always on a team. I was always meeting people. I was always out sort of playing and doing things. So I kind of fell in pretty quickly with friends as I moved around. And I do remember thinking as I got, you know, a little bit more mature and could kind of reflect on my upbringing, like especially in the high school years, thinking like, okay, I'm going to go to college. I've done this. No one else has done this. Like mm. I've had to start over and make friends every time. Like I'm going to come in rolling like the man and feel really comfortable. And I mean, I kind of felt that way. Like I had a great college experience too. And I think a lot of, you know, being dropped into new situations and having to quickly adapt and kind of find yourself, improve yourself to some extent. I think that that skill has served me really well now, just you know, growing up in life in general and in business. Um, so yeah, it was a tough thing as a child, but I think it was, it was pretty cool. And also like, I'm the oldest of four, uh, I have a sister that's a year younger than me, another sister, four years younger than me and a brother that's eight years younger and we're pretty tight. And then we all kind of like, you know, would hang and spend time with each other too. Yeah. So we were moving as a unit and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Did you, I mean, obviously you were a kid, so you don't really know. And I'm sure people ask you, Oh, what do you want to do with your life? Which is like one of the worst questions of all time to this day. <laughs> even to as an adult but did you know that you wanted to be in that world in the hospitality world yeah i did i did i did not know um i had a suspicion that i might i was yeah. i was into it i was i right. liked hospitality but i didn't know what else was out there so like my first job i was a 15 year old uh pool boy at the bellagio Greatest job in the world, like super coveted, so fun, you know, finding shade for people, handing out <laughs> towels, running around, having every crazy request made by every guest. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. Like super, super fun, great exposure to people. Right. Um, did that for three years. Uh, and when it was time to kind of decide on a path for college, both my parents grew up on the East Coast, mm -hmm. met each other in Newport Beach. Both encouraged me, I think, knowing that I'm, I love Southern California, that I would end up out here. They encouraged me to, hey, you know, look east for college. So it came down to Cornell or Tufts. Mm -hmm. Those were my two choices that I kind of honed in on. And Cornell would have been the hospitality school. And yeah. I applied and got in. And my, I went and visited with my parents. And um, for whatever reason, I just wasn't ready to commit to hospitality being the career for me. So pivoted, went to Tufts. Um, love Boston. Love Boston. Had a great time there. Um, ended up meeting my wife there. Met some, you know, my, my best friends in the world are my friends that I went to college with. So it was a, it was a good experience, and I'm really happy. Even though I've, you know, I had a meandering career path that brought me into hospitality, I'm happy I had some time kind of away from it. I'm. I think I would have always had this sort of itch or this like burning to see what else was out there, and I had a few years to kind of tinker and see what was out there before really landing. Yeah. Um, where I am now. Is there is there a Penji in Boston these days or not? No, we'd maybe, love to. Maybe soon. Great city. Yeah, yeah no, it's on, it's on our radar. I am. Yeah, yeah. We got two. There we go. There <laughs> we go. No connection to Boston. Other it'll be, than it'll be an interesting year this year. Um, They're going to win the championship. Every, <laughs> yeah. every year, that's the goal. Yeah, that is, well, we need, yeah, we'll, we'll need some help. <laughs> what did you end up studying then if, if it wasn't hospitality? Yeah, I, st yeah. I studied political science. Okay. So, which also was not really planned. I just started taking courses and realized sort of halfway through my career, I was like, wow, I think I'm more than halfway to a political science major. I just took courses that were interesting to me. Um, a lot of history and a lot of poli sci. So that's, uh, that was the route I went down and, you know, enjoyed it. But during that time, I mean, did you have an idea of what you would do post-college? Yeah. So I, I did. I mean, I, yeah. I, uh, how do I, how do I answer this? Yes. And yes and no. Um, so I was in school. I worked at a hotel while I was in school. I worked at the Charles hotel and did everything in the front of house there. I was an overnight night audit person at the desk. I was a front desk associate. I was a concierge. I was a PBX operator. I was like a utility guy there. Is that like a luxury hotel or? Oh, it's a very nice hotel. Um, yeah, very nice hotel in Cambridge. It's the sort of posh hotel that everyone that was, you know, visiting Harvard and mm -hmm. doing yeah. things in Harvard Square would right. stay there. Um, I came away from having worked there realizing that I don't want to be in hotel operations. Mm. I have tremendous respect for our teammates and our colleagues that are actually operating hotels, but and I actually felt like there's something wrong with me, like something's missing. Like this, I could tell that this wasn't the career for me. Right. 
Um, I loved hospitality, but for whatever reason, being an operator of a hotel or an operator of multiple hotels, that, that wasn't going to be my calling. I could, I could tell. So I, I left that. And what I did kind of learn about myself while I was in school is I think I want to be an entrepreneur. And I was around people that were building and making things. I lived with a couple of computer science guys. Uh, I was in college, you know, while Facebook came out and we're like, hey, this is kind of interesting. Like there's something to this like web 2.0 thing. Why don't we try to create a platform and do something? So we created uh, this thing called socialmonkey.com, which was a platform. It was essentially a mobile social network, sort of like Foursquare, but before Foursquare was really big. Um, so we, I, we built this thing and we launched it we had, you know, a ton of people from our college sign up and using it because we were running promotions at different bars and places. If people would go there and check in, they'd get, you know, two for one drinks, that type of thing. We had a nice write up on the Boston globe. Um, and then we started talking to some VCs and just trying to figure this out. Hey, is this a real thing? We got down the line with one group and, uh, got close to something and they ended up sort of pivoting and investing in Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, instead of us. And we, I couldn't keep the band together. So the guys that I worked with to, to build this thing, they, you know, one went off to go work for Mark Benioff, one left to go work for Google. And I had sort of taken this shot. This was my senior year. I'd taken the shot and said, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I, I graduate and what looked like this like hot new venture we were working on kind of fizzles out and I don't have a job. And all my friends have jobs and I'm totally depressed and feel like I've kind of wasted a lot of time and I, I, you know, trying to figure out what to do with my life. So I move out to LA, no gig. Um, and I, you know, this is 2006. So sort of backtracking Montage Laguna Beach launched in 2003. I sort of, from afar, I'm off in college while my dad launches this, this company Montage. Um, and I'm hearing bits and pieces about it. And I go out for the opening of Montage Laguna Beach. I'm trying to wrap my head around understanding the leap that he made from <laughs> general manager of hotels and operator to like having a bit like having started a business, having capitalized the right. business, having found a site, having had it developed and built and build a team. And now there's a there's a brand and a real company and, and it's growing. And so we'd signed up Laguna, we you know, built Laguna Beach and we had signed up a hotel that we we're going to do a montage in Beverly Hills. And, uh, cause I have no gig and I'm in LA and my dad's in and out of LA a lot. He says, well, why don't you come to one of these meetings, sit in on the owner's meeting with us and actually sort of see what happens before a hotel opens. So I go into this meeting, um, and it was like a eye opening sort of life changing moment for me. Uh, it's a long board table at the developer's office. Um, the Athens group is the developer of the hotel and there's an architect and interior designer, the Athens group development company. Um, you know, the, the brand and operator, my dad and some of his colleagues, um, some construction guys, and they're sitting around a table with a set of plans and they're talking about architecture and design and guest experience and their value engineering. And they're talking about how this all sort of fits into a business plan and I was like, what is this? <laughs> How do I be a part of this? I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. I just sort of understood hospitality as, you know, operating existing hotels. So that, I think, that spoke to me um, and spoke to this, like, idea of you can do this and be an entrepreneur and create things and build things in a world that is, you know, hospitality or hospitality adjacent. So I left and thought about it for the evening I went back the next day and knocked on the door uh, of the guy that was running the Athens group, um, that development at the time, and said, you know, I'm super green, graduated college, I have no skills necessarily in development, but I will work for you for free, you can make me an unpaid intern, I just want to learn, I want to see this process, I want to understand it, um, you know, I need to be around it. And if at some point you realize that I'm adding value and you want to hire me, and pay me that would be fantastic i'll take it but i'll take it but for now like i'll just i'll just work you know i'll just do it so i worked for them for a year unpaid and just like you know learned how to read plans went and took measurements on site put together you know plumbing fixture count matrices like all sorts of random tasks that you know helped me understand this is the process this is all the things that go into building a hotel and uh came away from that saying, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be involved in hospitality. 
on the development side. And uh, yeah, we, we opened and launched Montage Beverly Hills right into the great financial crisis. And yeah. so, uh, so you went from ba- back to, so, so then you went and started working at Montage after that. Uh, sorry. So I was still with the Athens group oh, you were still when Athens, Montage okay. opened. Mm-hmm. And soon after it opened, uh, yeah, I was, I, my dad was like, Hey, why don't you come in house? Well, like, we're going to grow the company. We're going to, we're going to be proactive and actually build out a proper acquisitions and development team within the company. Let's like, that's where the action is. Yeah. Let's, let's take the skill set you developed over a few years working for somebody else. Would you like to come in house? Should we do that? Is it, do you think we could do it? And I, you know, I have such respect for my dad. I think he's, you know, he's an amazing guy. You know, I love him. He's an amazing person. He was an amazing father. He's, you know, an amazing sort of mentor for me in business. Um, and, you know, I think it took me a while to get comfortable being my father's son and working in a company where I'm my father's son. Mm. And I think it's like anything else, like growing up and moving around a lot. It's just until you sort of put in the reps and can kind of prove yourself uh, with people, you know, sports was my my sort of venue in doing that when I was younger. And here it's just finding something and being excellent at it and putting in the hours. Um you know, once I once I felt like I actually got to that point, it became really comfortable, really, really natural. And uh, you know, my dad never made it feel like you know I'm coming here to work for him. It's like, hey, we're lucky enough to have this thing; we get to grow it together, yeah. and uh, it could be could be really fun. I just want to dig in on that point a little bit because I know that that's something that a lot of people you know deal with, especially if their parents are entrepreneurs. Is not only do we go and work with my, our parents. That's the first question. But secondly, if we do end up deciding to do that, um, or any other relative for that matter, uh, does that feel like I'm cutting, you know, the line? Does that mean I'm getting preferential treatment? Does that mean that I was almost chosen and I didn't earn it? Right? Like, yeah. were you battling any of those internal um, thoughts, or was that was that something that you considered at all? Yeah, somewhat. I, I came to terms with it pretty quickly. Yeah. Like the way I looked at it was. You know, there are these, you know, there are opportunities everywhere and certain doors are open to you and certain doors are closed. And this is an opportunity where the door is open, Mm -hmm. which absolutely is a massive benefit. And it's probably particular for me, but I still have to go do the work. I have to walk through the door and I have to show up every day and outwork the next person and add value. Like my, my goal is just become irreplaceable, like just create value. Yeah. So, and I took it really seriously and I felt the the more I added value, the more I felt like, you know, I'm contributing and I'm not working necessarily for my dad, but this is becoming, you know, a business we get to grow together, right. the more and more comfortable I felt. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I think it also having tried an entrepreneurial venture myself and, and failed, and having worked for somebody else at least for you know three years before coming in house, I felt like I at least sort of scratched an itch and satisfied myself and felt mm-hmm. like I'm not necessarily cutting the line. Here's an opportunity that's presented itself maybe earlier than would happen at you know for someone else, but I'm going to outwork the next guy and take mm-hmm. advantage of it and go help create something and right. add value. Right. Yeah, because I, I would encourage people to listen to your dad's story because he, from where he came from, and and you know that was like kind of the early days of of montage. It's like you joining up with him and building out this business, father and son, and obviously everyone else who's involved is such a cool thing. Like, yeah. why not? You know, it's yeah. like I think a lot of people, to Nurse's point, like they kind of look outwards and and try to you know kind of do this and do that without the help or without you know kind of joining up with someone that's in their immediate circle. Because, you know, you want to kind of do do it on your own, per se. But then the fact that there's like an opportunity right in front of your face that isn't like, it's not like fully built out yet. Like it's still in the early stages. I think that's something that, you know, could easily be missed if, if you don't take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I give my dad all the credit, right? Like he he was so good growing up about exposing me to all these like fun things in hospitality, like letting us know what the business was. I was learning about it at the dinner table. I was in and out of hotels with them constantly and never forcing and never saying like, this is what you're going to do. And you can, you get to come work for me one day. It was always just sort of like, yeah, if you like it, I'll help, you know, encourage you as I would any other Mm -hmm. uh, one of my kids in any one of their passions or pursuits. So 
I, I think he set the table really well. And I think about this a lot now. Now I'm a parent and I've got, you know, a couple young kids. And I'm starting to think about like, how do I, what is my parenting style? How do I want to introduce them to things like business or, or things like sports? And how do I expose them without pushing them? So I give him all the credit. His story's amazing. I, you know, it's, he started as a, as a doorman at a Marriott hotel and literally worked every position within right. hospitality and ultimately becoming a general manager and then, um, you know, then creating his own company. So yeah. I, I think, I think it's, it's still a top 10 episode for us. Yeah, it's, it's right there. And, and my point was that, you know, just because, you know, you've kind of gone through this career, to, I, mean, I mean, like speaking of your dad here, and you start a business doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be successful, right? Yeah. Like it, it does require a lot of work. So it's like, the, the, the fact that I think you were able to partner with him in early on in your career and build it was, I think is very cool. And like, I'm just curious as it's growing, you know, I know you mentioned early on, you weren't really a big fan of like being on the management side of things. What, what part of development, because obviously the design aspect and the, there is, I guess, a level of management to be said in that like kind of arena, but what was something that maybe gravitated towards the most? out of that whole puzzle, I guess. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the idea that you at, at the most basic level are building something. Like you're just I mean, you're building teams of people, you're building a project, you're building a business plan. It's that idea of like creating something, doing something, making something. Um again, not to take away at all from operating. I think like that's that has a different set of skills and a different set of challenges. It's really more I'm being you know, reflective and as honest with myself as I can too. I, you know, I want to put myself in a position to be successful. Like for me, starting things, you know, having, having a, a big picture view, taking a problem that's really complicated and distilling it down to the simple parts and sort of, you know, putting together a path and a plan to execute on that. Like I love doing that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's what, you know, inspires me and like keeps me excited about, you know, business and problem solving and challenges and all, and all of that. So, um, yeah, the, the idea of getting to work on really challenging things with a group of people and solve problems and launch something and build something and then do it again and then do it again is really exciting. You know, so. I think, I think what's, and I work in a similar industry as yours where I'm more on your side versus the operational side. And I always tell people that there's a symbiotic relationship, right? Yeah. One is not more important than the other. Although every person thinks that their job is more important yeah. without you, there is no operations. And without operations, there is no point of view. Yeah. Like some, somebody's got to actually work on it, right? Like in terms of executing on the business plan, executing on the strategy. And I think that, you know, what you mentioned early on is you, saw what the operational side was like you experienced it and you said this is not for me and i think it's important for people to see both sides yeah and i'm sure there's more than two sides but you know in, in this in this i guess industry in a sense because you really don't know until you do it yeah like you think oh yeah operations seems boring mundane but some people are really good at that and they make a lot of money being really good at that yeah and others are not really good at the vision and the strategy and the planning and all yeah. that stuff yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, it, it's like having having been exposed to hotels, having worked in hotels when I was younger, like in understanding and spending time with our team of, you know, operators helps us on the development side understand what to build, like what's successful, what is what how do we how do we get to the right mousetrap? How do we actually craft a business plan based on what, you know, what works in practice to marry up design and architecture and a product to execute the business plan? And then once it's built and it's operating, checking in with our existing teams to see what's working, what's not, because we don't want to put concepts forward that don't work, right? And if something's not working, we want to change it and fix it as quickly as possible and iterate on it for the next version of something that we build so that we know that we're putting out things that are you know, successful and ultimately make our guests happy. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool relationship. It's, it's a wild business. I, I really... Yeah, I really get. I'm I'm very lucky. Love love what I get to do. Yeah. So obviously, montage uh, has been very successful. At what point did kind of the idea for Pendry come about, and uh, why kind of go in a like start a different brand under the kind of montage umbrella? Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, we'd been internally talking about kind of the right way to grow the company, right? So we're we're, we're 
clicking along at a great pace. We had Laguna Beach, Beverly Hills, Deer Valley, and all of a sudden, great financial crisis hits. And world stops, world sort of resets. And we kind of did some reflecting and, and thinking. We realized, uh, you know, we had a, we had a lot, of, lot of things come out of this time period. We realized that montage is going to be really good, sustained, slow growth. We are, what we're creating is amazing, but in terms of like creating a growth platform for a company, we're kind of our own worst enemy. The locations are so spectacular. The settings are so grand. The product that we build, the actual, you know, the resorts themselves, what like they're, they're so, they're so big. They're so special. Like the, you know, the, the investment and the scale that it takes to build a resort of the caliber that we're building there are just going to be fewer opportunities. So, and that's okay. And that's like, we love this brand and we're, we're really excited to continue to grow it at its pace. But we had two things kind of occur to us. Um, one, there was a ton of deal flow on the, on the business side. There was a ton of deal flow that we were seeing that we couldn't quite make a montage. Didn't just didn't quite measure up for whatever reason. Great locations, cool cities, cool projects. Yeah. It would be economically successful. They could still be kind of, you know, cool luxury hotels, but they don't work for montage. So we were like, okay, boy, it would be nice to be nice to capitalize on some of these because we're you know, known as being a good operator and people want to do more business with us. I think even more importantly on the guest side, we really felt like coming out of the great financial crisis, there was a real shift in how people were consuming the world and in particular consuming luxury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the style of luxury that they wanted was different than sort of the more classic version of a luxury hotel. And there's this guest that's sort of a new wave of luxury customer of guests that's kind of coming into being. And they are really sort of well-traveled, smart, confident guests. And they've probably experienced classic luxury hotels. They've also experienced more sort of quote unquote lifestyle driven hotels, some of Schrager's hotels or some of the early W hotels. And I think that they, our thesis was there's a guest that's now smart enough to say, I want the service culture and the quality and the credibility and the infrastructure of more of a classic hotel, luxury mm-hmm. hotel. But I want the, the style, the sensibility, the artistic uh, flair, the type of bars and restaurants that more of these sort of lifestyle-oriented hotels have. That was the sort of niche that we saw. And this was the guest that we were thinking about as we're thinking, okay, wait a minute, if we were to develop another brand, what would it be and how could we do this? So that that was our challenge and that was kind of our bet um, was, hey, we can take the things that we do incredibly well with Montage mm-hmm. and we can create a different style of luxury hotel that will allow us to get into more cities and more markets and serve more guests and serve this kind of next generation of luxury guests. Um, yeah, that was that was the thought. And, you know, back to sort of my role at the time, you know, I was on the acquisitions development side of our business. Um, I was, you know, I I'd taken some classes to learn how to basically, you know, underwrite deal, like basically like real estate finance courses to learn how to do some basic level of modeling. Was not very good at it at all. You don't like Argus? What's that? You don't like Argus? Nope. Uh, so I want to, I want to know a PNL. I want to be able to break down a PNL. I don't want to be the person that's actually Discount creating the model. Flow. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> um, no, but again, like back to you, that, that wasn't my highest right. and best use. Like that was not where my natural talents and sort of skill sets aligned. But what I was really good at was putting together decks and creating copy and sort of selling the idea or the experience of what a montage hotel would be. So in, in my role, I worked with Jason Herthel, who's now our president and COO, who's incredible. Um, we were trying to sell the dream to potential capital partners and development partners of this is what this particular opportunity as a montage would be. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, going through all of the beats of a deck, like here's the opportunity, here's the market, here's the competitive landscape, here's the story, here's the product that we want to create. You know, here's our portfolio of existing hotels. Here's how our, you know, our performance on those hotels. Here's why we're the right choice to, you know, brand and create this amazing hotel with you, said capital partner or development partner. Lots and lots and lots of reps for that. So when the opportunity came to actually say like, hey, we're thinking about 
a brand, we're thinking about trying to create something. I was like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing I can do. I can storyboard this out. I can take the initial sort of strokes and and sort of see if we can create something that feels like a compelling story that the market would feel is credible. Yeah. And would leverage, you know, the infrastructure that we have, our relationships we've built over the years, the quality in which we're known for, the service culture we're known for, how we hire, who we hire, how we train, all the things that make us good operators at the highest level against these really competitive luxury brands. Can we do all of that with, you know, a different style? Um, and that became, uh, that became Pendry. You know, when it comes to legal help, I'm tired of hidden fees and complex billing structures. Isn't there a better way? Well, that's exactly what Decrypted Law offers. They're pioneers in transparent flat fee pricing for startups. And guess what? They even have a subscription service for fractionalized general counsel. Subscription service for a law firm? That's right. Decrypted Law is revolutionizing the way legal services are consumed. For a flat monthly fee, startups can now have access to top-tier on-demand legal counsel. Wow, that's a game changer. No more bill shock, just clear, predictable costs. Decrypted Law, they're not just breaking down legal complexities, they're making legal services more accessible. Learn more and contact them at decryptedlaw.com. Mention the founder of our podcast so they know who sent you. Love soda? Listen up. Introducing Olipop, a new kind of soda that's actually good for you. It's the fastest growing beverage brand in America, and here's why you'll love it too. Gut health matters, and Olipop has your back. Two out of three Americans suffer from digestive issues, and Olipop tackles that with a soda that tastes amazing. With nine grams of prebiotics in every can, it's the gut-friendly choice you've been waiting for. Now let's talk flavors. Vintage Cola, Classic Root Beer, my favorite, Orange Squeeze, Classic Grape, and more. It takes me back to those childhood days. And guess what? Olipop has way less sugar than traditional sodas. Vintage Cola only has 2 grams of sugar compared to the 39 grams of sugar in a regular Coca-Cola. Pretty impressive, huh? But it doesn't stop there. Olipop's drinks are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly, with less than 8 grams of net carbs per can. They've got something for everyone. Ready to give Olipop a try? The Founder Hour listeners can get 20% off their next order with the code FOUNDER20, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-20. Head to their website, www.drinkolipop.com, or find Olipop in over 22,000 stores nationwide. The biggest fortunes aren't made on Wall Street. They're made way before startups hit the stock market. Consider Mike Walsh, a name just like any of ours who invested $5,000 into Uber. And that investment money, it grew to a staggering $24,827,400. Such opportunities were once behind closed doors, reserved for those with connections and vast fortunes. But that's no more. Start Engine is tearing down those exclusivity walls and making startup investments accessible to you and me. With Howard Marks, co-founder of the gaming giant Activision at the helm, Start Engine and its 1.7 million users have fueled startups with over $1.1 billion. This is no longer just an investment platform, but an investing revolution. And it gets better. They're inviting you to be a part of their journey. With just $500, you can join their live fundraising round and own shares of this revolutionary company. Click the link in the episode description and jump on board before their investment round wraps up. Obviously, with montage, Montage's success, you don't want to deviate too much away from kind of the that feel and everything, the luxury feel, the style, kind of the experience. But then you also want to create a brand that's different, but a brand that's also different from whatever incumbent is in that subset of that market that you know you can sort of dominate and not have to like compete for dollars essentially uh what were like the biggest things that you focused on when starting pendry that you felt like was maybe like a competitive or core advantage not obviously against like montage or anything but whoever else was in the market you mentioned some other kind of hotel brands yeah i think well it started with we had to have a we had to have a really specific concept we had to have an idea that said, okay, this is what the brand is, this is what it stands for. So for us, the idea was, you know, new luxury. Mm. Like that's at its simplest place, like how we would describe the brand is we want to describe it as new luxury. We're taking, you know, the luxury experiences that we know how to deliver for guests and we're sort of doing it in a new way. And, you know, I think 
it was it was really sort of deconstructing all of the things that work for montage and deconstructing the beats of a hotel guest experience. So all the things that we all go through, the you know, from from booking a room on a website to arriving at the hotel, what does that feel like? To arriving in your guest room for the first time, what does that feel like? To, you know, going down and having a cocktail at a like all of those things and figuring out what is the style that we want to create for for this brand. Um, and once we sort of figured that out, we I think the 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 biggest um aha moment for us was how much do we link this back to montage? Do we mm-hmm. want to create something that feels, you know, compl- like the, the, the challenge is we want to create a brand that feels like it stands on its own two feet. That's its own thing that has its own voice that can stand out against competitor brands in this segment of whatever we want to call it, luxury lifestyle. We call it new luxury. Now we call it contemporary luxury. How do we stand on our two feet against them? And how do we embrace montage? Right. And early days, we really didn't embrace montage very much at all. And quickly we realized that even before we launched the, our first hotel, which is Pendry San Diego in 2017, in pre-opening, we kind of learned, we sort of focus grouped it a little bit. The travel agent community, um, anybody that knew us was like hyped up that, hey, oh, Montage is doing a new brand. Oh, this is the new, like cool new luxury brand from Montage. We realized that was actually a huge advantage yeah. and that, you know, people saw us as a credible operator, like the 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 style the design like we we bring in you know great interior designers and great architects and we find you know restaurant partners and collaborators to do you know specific things in the hotels to make them come to life but like the real nuts and bolts of can you execute quality can you take care of me the guest um, like that's really hard to do yeah. and the fact that we you know we weren't a startup. We were we were a startup and we weren't. Like it was a new thing, but because we were sort of standing on the shoulders of Montage, mm-hmm. we were given license um, for people to try it and then we executed it. And it was, yeah. It, it, As someone who's involved on the creative side of things, uh, what do you draw inspiration from? It doesn't have to be in the hotel industry, just in general. I think travel, honestly. I mean, I think see, just seeing and experiencing things all over the world um, and trying to understand, like throwing yourself into a culture, throwing yourself into a neighborhood and trying to understand like what what makes it tick, like what's interesting here. And I think the the cool thing about building something in a city is, and, and, and hospitality in particular, I think it's sort of a responsibility of ours as hoteliers to kind of reflect back what people want and are asking for, but push the bar forward. So a lot of, I would, I would argue that a lot of brands sort of miss by going like local, 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 hyper local. If you do that, you're by nature just copying what's already there. So I think the idea of like getting out, traveling, experiencing, you know, members clubs in London, uh, nightlife in New York, uh, you know, restaurant scene in San Francisco, whatever, like getting out and experiencing these things, understanding what makes people tick, what makes cities different, what makes neighborhoods different, and then sort of taking that database and applying it to, you know, the, the challenge ahead, the, the whatever neighborhood or city we're working on, I think is really fun. Um, it's, it's really exciting. And I think I get a lot more inspiration outside of hospitality and looking at like what other great restaurant tours are doing. Honestly, what great retail design looks like, I think has really started to inform. We all, it seems like retail was influenced by hospitality and now hospitality is being influenced by retail. Yeah. It's, it's really, yeah, it's, it comes from everywhere. Was the goal to build new hotels or to buy existing ones and almost renovate it and make it its own thing, a new thing? Yeah. It, I mean, we didn't have a specific, I mean, we, we, we obviously want to do both and we're in the process of doing both. So it's really more like at what point in the cycle are we in? Um, you know, it's, it's for the longest time it was in vogue to buy existing hotels. And then at some, a certain point, uh, it became actually more economic to buy and develop new hotels. So we're kind of agnostic as to that. It's really about like finding the right finding the right location, finding a city, finding a neighborhood that guests like are excited about, um, where we have a point of view that's different than what somebody else has done, where we can create the best in market hotel. Um, and you know, we'll take, 
you know, either either one that comes about, we're fortunate to have. You know, Chicago is a great opportunity for us. Um, it's an iconic building, the Carbide and Carbon Building, landmarked 1929 hotel, shaped in a you know shaped like a champagne bottle as mm-hmm. Prohibition was ending. Green terracotta with a gold top, like incredible. Yeah. And so much of the story of that hotel is just actually inspired by the architecture of the hotel. Like you can't you can't recreate that with a new right. build hotel. It's like very, very difficult. But then you know, juxtapose that to New York, which is, you know, in Manhattan West, which is across from Hudson Yards mm-hmm. and this like beautiful black, chic, classy building that, you know, the SOM designed. And it's like, it's this gorgeous, super contemporary piece of architecture that's, um, you know, is a completely different experience and totally different setting yeah. for our guests. And that's as uh, you know, somebody that gets to work on on this part of our business. That's what's also incredibly inspiring to me is we don't, we're not with Pendry. We're not known as having one aesthetic, right? It's not one thing that defines the brand. You know, New York feels like a you know California notes of like Japanese and Scandinavian design. Uh, Chicago is very like traditionally Art Deco mm-hmm. and very gentlemanly. Uh, West Hollywood is like a very, which we're sitting in right now, is like very colorful, very bold, um, like contemporary Art Deco. San Diego is a complete mishmash of different <laughs> styles. It's like mid-century modern. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, anyway. So I love that we get to tell different stories, and you know, each hotel is like truly one of one. Yeah, and I think that's become you know something that's a pride point for us. And like, how do we how do we find the right concept each time? And still be able to wait, still still be able to tile the hotels together. Yeah. How do we have like the right amount of touch points within each property where people go, okay, I know this is a pendry. This feels like a pendry. Whether it's the scent or the bath amenities or the bedding or the macaroons that we leave at turn down or the same welcome cocktail that we have at arrival at every one of our hotels or the signature like mixtape soundtrack that we put on in your room at each property, like all of these little things, they like one on its own is nice. But when you have 10 or 12 of them and they're like these really intimate moments that you have within a hotel, they start to add up and you start to go like, okay, that's the essence of what makes a hotel a Pendry hotel. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to connect the dots between a brand new build, you know, in, you know, on the West side of New York and, you know, a Art Deco terracotta building in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of like the future of the whole industry and obviously Pendry's place in it, earlier you alluded to kind of that pushing the bar forward piece, which yeah. is probably like the toughest because it's not right in front of your face. You kind of have to get creative with it. Uh, you know, when you think of the future, obviously with COVID and everything, hospitality, you know, was like, was uncertain, like what's going to happen. And since then it seems like it's just boomed, not only just hospitality, like restaurants, hotels, all that thing, all those things. Uh, Thinking forward, you mentioned all these different bits and pieces of, you know, everything that encompasses like hospitality or like a good hotel experience. Is it just a matter of constantly iterating and improving on those things? Or are there other things that maybe haven't even been done before that you think about when it comes to like hospitality and, and where you see it going? I mean, I think it's, it is constant evolution, even in our existing hotels, right? We're like constantly pulling levers, tweaking, optimizing. I can't, you know, there's, there's not one sort of quantum leap that comes to mind that says like, okay, this one thing is going to totally change the industry. I think there's a general sense we, we as operators are going to be continued to be asked to do more with less. That's just a reality, right? Like, and I think that's okay because we we learn to adapt, we become super efficient, we become really entrepreneurial, we use technology and we you know have software and we have systems that allow us to be better performing at what we do. Um, so I think you know that principle like sticks with me. I, kn- I know that that as we're, as we're designing hotels, we think through that. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a simple, I mean, it's a crazy complicated business, but it's also really simple. People want to be taken care of really well. Yeah. Like we got to provide great hospitality. We got to make people feel good. People are coming in, you know, the, we, we use the analogy a lot of like hosting people in our homes. It's a very, very like universal, um, you know, metaphor for, for hospitality, but 
And that's what it is. When we open a hotel, it becomes the house party that never ends. We're inviting people in to experience like our hospitality. And it's a really interesting business. It's experience driven and you know, people pay $500 a night, $600 a night, $1,000 a night, $2,000 a night to come and stay with us. And they don't leave with a physical, tangible product or a thing, right? They've spent their money and they've spent their time with us. And whatever they're trying to get out of out of our stay, like we we are on the hook to provide that for them. And we take it seriously. And it's like a cool, I, I, I really appreciate it. I think it's a really, it's a really great thing. You're either supposed to make people feel you know, inspired. And that's why we've got like incredible art all throughout our properties. And that's why we like really care about architecture and design and scale and how things make you feel when you're in a room. Um, we want you to feel really comfortable, which is why like everything's super functional. And like, we care about the thread count and the yeah. type of bed and like all of the, all of those little things add up because you as a guest are staying with us and you, you, you need this and it's our job to provide it for you and do it in a way that feels like really humble and gracious and like we're proud to do it. And as hosts, we are. So that's, yeah. Mike, we talked to your dad during COVID. It was like November, 2020. Yeah. I think we were October, November, 2020. And we were sitting outside six feet apart. Even Pat and I were six feet apart. It was funny. Um, but it was a beautiful setting. We have a obviously. photo with him. We're yeah, all six yeah. Feet. It's super, yeah, it's, it's, it's super it's, awkward. It's super but it's, weird. It's a good photo. Uh, but you know, none of us were masked up. It was great. <laughs> I think uh, we're coming. Obviously, I think we've come out of pan- the pandemic now. I think you know whatever. You have COVID cases here and there. Um, what was what was it like running a hotel business at the time? Because I mean, it took obviously a massive hit in terms of the number of visitors you guys were getting, number of guests you were getting. What was that like? I mean, what, run us through like the initial reaction you guys had, and then you know, kind of the pain that was felt throughout. Yeah. I mean, like the seven stages of grief come, come to mind. I mean, yeah. I, I, Dabda or there's more. Yeah. yeah, no, there's, I mean, look, at first you just don't believe it, right? Yeah. Like we, we we're in the business of opening hotels, not closing hotels. Like you can't, you cannot fathom an event that would, that would make you close hotels and, and, you know, like furlough people. And it's like horrible, horrible yeah. things. Right. So, I think just processing the reality and the severity of the situation was the first thing. And the priority was, you know, being safe and taking care of our people and making sure that we did whatever we could for them and could bring them back to work as quickly as possible. That was like priority one. And then you're sifting through, you know, you you also have a if we have a responsibility to our owners and partners to try to figure out what we can do to get the hotels open as quickly as possible. If they're not, you know, if we can bring them back, how do we do that in a way that's the most economic? Can we shrink the size of the box and not have every room open and have a few outlets, but not all of the outlets and all just, it's just constant trying to just trying to do the right thing, trying to figure out the right thing for our people, trying to figure out the right thing for our business um, like brutal days. And then, you know, it's almost like, and then on the other side of the ledger, there's all this distress and chaos and, you know, you've, you don't want to feel opportunistic, but there's, you know, deals yeah. that are out there too. Right. right? So you're playing defense and you're playing offense and I'm trying on, to convince you to play offense when everyone's playing defense. Right. So it's, I mean, there was, it was a, it was a very strange time. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, look, we, I'm proud of I'm proud of how we conducted ourselves as a as a company and as a family. Um, I think we did the right thing by our associates. Uh, we got everyone back to work as safely and quickly as possible. We I think we did the right thing by our partners as well. We reopened however we could, wherever we could, in whatever capacity we were allowed to. And uh, yeah, then looking forward, I mean, we opened we opened a lot of hotels during COVID. We opened Pendry West Hollywood in April of 21. We opened Pendry Chicago in May of 21. We opened Pendry Manhattan West in New York in September of 21. We we opened uh, Montage Healdsburg, I think, in December of 21. 
and we opened Pendry Park City in February of 22. It was five hotel openings Crazy. in a year, all during COVID. So it was business as usual. You know, this thing will pass and, and we'll be, you know, we'll be fine. In terms of the openings? Yeah, it was just like you're, we're not well, stopping. So, yeah, yeah, you're so far, like these hotels are like almost fully built, right? They're yeah. so far down the line that you have to finish and, and open. Right. Um, and it just is what it is. Like you're opening with masks and training with masks and training with social distancing and all this crazy yeah. stuff, right? It was a right? weird time. Very weird time. So, but it, you know, it's, I, it, it just, it, it just, it just was. It just was what it was and we had to deal with it. And, you know, these, I, I talk about this with my dad and our team all the time. Like these, these hotels are built for generations. These are not, you know, we're in today, we're out tomorrow, yeah. quick flip. Like our business is, you know, long-term durable management contracts and creating value for our owners and partners, managing these hotels for them over decades. So we can't control the macro environment. We cannot control when a hotel, like what the state of the world is like when a hotel is, is completed. Um, we can control how we operate. We can control like what we do for our guests. Like we, you know, we can just control the things we can control. And that's like, you have to, you have to do the best you can and, you know, sleep well at night. And that's, what we always strive to do. Yeah. So the next Pendry is going to be in Newport and and end of September. End of September. And yeah. And then you guys announced um, Barbados. Yes. And Punta Mita, Punta Mexico. Mita. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be three. When one of those those other two are just kind of still early stages. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Newport. Newport opens in a few weeks, uh, or about a month or so. Um, Punta Mita. To we're about three years out. On that, Punta Mita is incredible. Um, you know, Riviera Nayarit, uh, Mexico. It's in the gates of Punta Mita. We happen to be the pen. We're actually doing a montage there too. Montage mm-hmm. and a pendry. They're about a mile apart from one another. Two nice. different but fantastic sites. The pendry is perched on a cliff that terraces down to the beach, uh, overlooking one of the best surf breaks in Mexico. It is so rad. Like such such a great setting. Uh, for a contemporary beach resort. Um, Barbados, similarly, super cool. That one's uh, also three years out of it. It should be 2026. Um, it's uh, a new build beachfront hotel, like right on the water um, with a marina behind it mm. and uh, residences to sell in that property, which will be which will be fantastic. Um, yeah, so jungle on the backside, marina and beachfront hotel, really, really special spot. Um, I'm trying to think what else do we have? And then, and then you have the Elwood Club, which is kind of a new new venture, I guess, new side of the business. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so what is? Yeah. What's that? What's? Yeah. What's so we are sort of expanding our hospitality footprint into membership clubs as well. Um, we currently manage a couple of country clubs that are associated with some of our hotels. Mm-hmm. So Spanish Peaks Mountain Club, for instance, uh, next to Montage Big Sky. Uh, which is you know great ski club and has a has an unbelievable eighteen hole uh, Tom Weiskopf golf course, but we've you know I think similarly to how we sort of viewed the market and and uh, while we were launching Pendry sort of it was there's a niche and an opportunity for us to create a modern members club that you know really leverages our hospitality experience and all of the you know all of the existing hotels in our portfolio and all of the brands that we've done stuff with, uh, and does it in a, in a world of like really amazing sort of creative spaces. So within Pendry Newport beach, we have a whole wing of the hotel that's dedicated to the Elwood club. Um, I think it's like 13,000 square feet. Uh, so it's, a, so it's actually like a physical space. It's, it's not. A, yeah. Okay. Yep. It's a physical space. Yeah. Um, it's a la a Soho house or, you know, and, or, you know, pick your members club from London uh, great reception rival experience, incredible piece of Anthony James art. That's, that's like the statement piece there, uh, long art gallery that connects all these other spaces within the club. We have a cabaret, um, that'll be like super sexy entertainment drinks in the evening. We have a pub and, uh, golf simulator space, wow, which will be awesome. rad. Uh, really excited for that. And then a signature restaurant for the, for the club as well, which is a sort of a modern Italian restaurant via Mara. So that's, that's all opening. And then as a member, you'd have access to the spa, the fitness, the pool, the kids club, uh, there as well. And it's a great sort of 
yeah, it's a great sort of uh, lifestyle experience. It's a great way to kind of wrap up all of these things that we do with Pendry and with Montage and kind of extend even further and even deeper into the lives of people that live in our community. Um, so we're really excited. It's definitely like the buzz in town right now is the, the launch of the Elwood Club. We've got a couple hundred members that we've signed up already that are incredibly high quality people. Um, really, really excited about the group. And uh, yeah, we're going to create some magic there. So what does your day to day look like? Yeah, I spend, well, this is part of what I love about this business is no day is the same as the day before. Um, I spend, I'd say, 50-ish percent of my time on product-related things. So um, we have 12 or 13 hotels right now between Montage and Pendry, although I focus my time on Pendry, that are signed management agreements that are at some phase of design and construction. And we have, you know, weekly recurring calls all over the place for these all of these projects. These are yet to be built ones. These are yet to be built. So, some of which we just talked about, Barbados, Punta Mita, mm-hmm. you know, Tampa is another one for Pendry that's coming up. Uh, and then some others that we haven't announced yet. Um, so I spend a lot of time with our teams going through, you know, architecture, design, programming, um, F&B partnerships, all, all of the things that create the actual physical product experience for, for our, our teams. Um, I'd spend another 25% of my time, I would say, on uh, sort of pipeline development. So joining our acquisitions and development team, being on the road with them, physically meeting capital partners and development partners, looking at sites, um, trying to get a feel for, does this make sense for our brand should we do it? Mm-hmm. If we were to do it, what's the highest and best use architectural or design style? Um, go about sort of starting the process of you know creating something, and then the rest of my time is a combination of um, interfacing with our existing operating hotels. Just you know, a weekly call with our EVP of hotel ops. I'm seeing our general managers when I'm in and out of properties and kind of catching up on what's happening. Um, and then owner relations. We are, you know, a very active, um, I'd say we're a very active management company. The principals of our company, my, myself, my dad, are incredibly active with our owners um, and really accessible. And it's something that uh, I take a lot of pride in. I mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of the reason that we're able to compete with some of the larger hotel companies is that we are, we're nimble, we're entrepreneurial and we're, we're here and we're present and we're able to solve problems with you, our owner or our partner at the table. I think that's really compelling when we're looking at a new opportunity and it's my dad or me or the two of us and our team in a room with a potential partner. It's like, this is, it's not a lot of bureaucracy. It's not a lot of red tape. Here are the people that make the decisions. Um, like we're not going to hide from a challenge or an issue. Like we're going to confront it with you head on and be a good partner. So we, I really try to honor that as much as we can. And um, I'm pretty accessible to our owners and our partners of our of our hotels. And there's, you know, there's always something. So, yeah. is there uh, like a sweet spot of how many locations you want to have, or is it a matter of we want to just cover as much land as we can? And if it makes sense, it makes sense, and we're just going to keep growing until yeah yeah there's there's not a sweet spot of like total number to get to but i'd say there's a pace that we're comfortable with right so the limiting factor in our growth is how much personal time and attention we can put into crafting the hotels building the teams launching them the right way and then ultimately handing them off to our operating partners or our operating colleagues um so if, if all of a sudden we have a year where we open 10 hotels, that's like we've jumped the shark. Like that, we can't do that. There's mm-hmm. no way that I can give the time and attention and love like me and my team or my dad and his team or you know, us combined. There's no way that we can like actually craft the right thing that way. Yeah. So it, the, what makes sense is two, maybe three openings a year is kind of the pace that we're ramping up to. So we've had very challenging years like 2021. We just talked about where we opened, you know, five hotels. You know, this year we're opening one hotel. Next year we're opening two hotels. We're kind of getting to a pace where we're going to be two to three a year, which feels about right. 
Yeah. So yeah. that's that's comfortable for us as a company and allows us to scale the right way and you know build teams as we go and sort of you know it, it just sort of plug into the infrastructure as we as we go. Mike, out of curiosity, why the management contract route and not the ownership of the hotel plus the management contract route? Yeah, I think it's a matter of just knowing what we do well and what we're good at. And if you kind of, if you trace back to the inception of the company, like my dad was an operator. That's what he knew. That's what he, right. that's what he knew how to do. He knew how to manage hotels really well to create value for owners and partners. Mm -hmm. And he built a company around his unique talents and skill set for that. And, you know, we've talked about it over the years. Um, and I think, you know, we have a very, we have a very good sort of internal development arm of our business. Um, but, you know, we've gotten to this point where we're lucky enough that we have two great brands that are resonating and we have so much growth in front of us, just signing up management opportunities, the right ones and creating the right hotels. Right. It's we, we, we haven't wanted to sort of change the model too much right. because honestly, we're really happy. Like we're right. like, it's just, it's a good, like a, it's a good trajectory right now. And it's, it's capital intensive to, to do what you, mm -hmm. you asked. And it's a different set of risks and challenges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we might be good at that, but we know we're good at this. Right. So it's about really putting focusing the on your strengths. Exactly. Right putting yeah. the focus into where we know we'll do well. People ask me, you know, similarly, ask us about launching other hotel brands all the right. time. Yeah. Do we have ideas for what another hotel brand would look like? Absolutely. I would have to weigh that against the time that like how busy we are now already with montage and with Pendry. Yeah. And like, we know these are successful mm -hmm. and we're going to continue on this trajectory and, and then some, so we have to weigh that against the time that we would take away from that to go create something else that may or may not be successful. Right. So, for now, we're really content with what we have mm -hmm. and, you know, proud to continue to grow it. I, I read somewhere last year that 2022 was one of the best. I mean, the hotels were one of the best asset classes that investors invested in just because of, you know, the fact everything that it was else closed was down. for two yeah. years. Uh, yeah, and everything else was down for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, do you still see that continuing? And, I mean, I know we talk about it all the time, Pat and I, where, you know, travel costs are significantly higher, you know, flight you know, food, you know, hotel, everything's just you know, higher. Is that where we're headed, where it's just going to continue going up? Or do we see it maybe neutralizing at some point where, okay, like this is the cost of the Pendry? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know, right? Yeah. Like I, it, there was definitely pent-up demand for years. And you saw, and obviously inflation as yeah. well. So rates jumped a ton and demand jumped a ton. And it was, it was a great year. So, and resorts generally came back faster than, you know, city center hotels and the combination of, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, everything opening up demand being, you know, pent up demand, inflation and resorts, which typically charge more anyway, like prices just boomed. Um, and then city hotels came back in this last year as well too. Mm -hmm. So 2022 was actually a very good year. Um, but uh, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I couldn't tell you how, how far up it's going to go. Yeah. I, you know, it's, we, we, we deal with the macro kind of environment that we're in. And, uh, you know, I think we, we know how to position our hotels um, in a premium way. And we're not afraid to charge, you know, as much, as much as we can. But at a certain point, like, we also want to be respectful of our guests and, right. and make sure that if we are charging a premium rate, Boy, our service culture better be dialed in. We better have like every amenity and facility you know available to you, and like you know, out out uh, outperform and you know exceed your expectations. I think you guys have done a really good job at that. Well, like at least from my personal experience. Thank you. Yeah, it's you know it's uh, we love what we do, and we've got you know it's it's, it's just, this is our twentieth year operating hotels, so wow. we've we've learned a lot. In some ways, it feels like. Uh, you know, an overnight success story, but it's been 20 years in the making. Um, we've got a great team in place right now. I'm really, really excited about our team. What we have, we're 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 you know blessed to have some incredible properties, um, and you know it's it's a joy to come to work and you know work with work with people that are motivated, inspired, and get it. And it's like I love 
the position that we're in right now relative to the rest of our industry as well, because there's been a lot of a lot of M&A and there are these huge conglomerate companies and there are very few people in our position that, you know, are privately held hospitality company. And there's no deal we have to do. There's there's no place we have to be. We grow at the pace we want to grow at. We hire the people we want to work with. Um, we get to build the culture we want to build and, uh, you know, hire you know, the best people we can. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. We're really fortunate. Um, not without its challenges, yeah. very, very tough business, but, um, you know, it says, this is as a good a version of it as I could ever imagine. Yeah. Well, we're excited to see what the next 20 years looks like. Uh, and you know, we can't thank you enough for joining us and just sharing all the wisdom and everything you've accumulated, you know, throughout your life. And, um, you know, excited to see, uh, what next, what's next and yeah. the next Pendry in Newport, uh, soon. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll be visiting that one too. I'm grateful for the opportunity guys. Thank you. I've listened to podcasts over the years and my dad obviously has been on it as well, which has been cool. Are we the first father son duo, by the way? I was just thinking been that one? we've had a mother daughter duo. Okay. At the same time. At though. the same time. Okay. Which wasn't planned, but she just walked in. And we're like, join us on the podcast. But first father son duo, I believe so. Yeah. I'll what take it? it. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, we got to fact check ourselves. <laughs> there you go. But I think it was though. Yeah. Well, it's been a blast. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's been great. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Appreciate it.